Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler. Now, after Dublin's riots, what comes next from a tech point of view? Will new hate speech laws take effect in any meaningful way? Is facial recognition technology now a shoo-in? And what responsibility, if any, do the social media companies or the online safety commissioner bear for incendiary content being shared online? JJ Clark, I was in the middle of the riots last Thursday. It was pretty scary. There was a lot of very, very um, incendiary content being shared. And... What happened has been well documented at this point, but now I think focus is starting to shift to what happens next. Right. And and I was following your your videos uh, on X of the riots and, and I suppose the overarching kind of feeling for most dubs and most Irish people was it can't happen here. Mm. You know, it was a, our London riots are January 6th, but the actual inflammation of the riots and this sort of drawing in of new people to it that weren't didn't intend to go to it was sort of inflamed by technology and how do you see that how was it amplified by people and their phones and get get here now lads even people who are not on telegram channels or who have limited exposure to whatsapp groups will have seen some of the messages and the audio content uh, shared from those groups because they seeped out into other more mainstream uh, channels. And some of it was pretty frightening indeed. It ranged from um, discussions of where and how to descend on senior politicians' homes to where to go next to what to burn down. And it sort of set the scene, I think, for what started out as being a reactionary protest, albeit an angry one and albeit one with a very far right character to it, to something much bigger, which into sort of a general riot and a general uh, free for all. But the response now from the government is to look at a few different things. One is hate speech laws. And this is interesting because Elon Musk and others from an international point of view, have now all started to zero in on Ireland's uh, hate speech legislation. And what they are, they're furious about it because it doesn't really gel with an American standard of free speech. And to be fair to them, there are, it, it is something worth talking about. We've done a podcast on this before. 
But basically what the, uh, what the hate speech legislation here, it essentially says that you can be guilty for having material that is likely to incite violence or hatred. And it doesn't actually have to be shared or tweeted or posted or leafleted. It, it's, you can simply just possess it, albeit with a view to that material being communicated um, to the public. Um, and uh, how is that, sorry, how, how is that different? So if, for example, in the case of the riot and the mm. context of the riot, if you have, you know, shown that there, you have possession of information or material that's, you know, has in it incitement to hatred, and then you go on and carry on as if to protest or gather or congregate what makes it a riot? Is it the first stone that goes through the window and, and then is that incitement to hatred? So th- what supporters of the legislation say is that that is a burden of proof that the prosecution will have to actually meet and that it will actually be quite difficult to prove. They say that provisions like this are already on the books from the 1989 uh, Act, which tries to do something similar and there have never been any prosecutions on that basis but what civil liberties groups are saying is that this is different because it flips your civil rights so the last time we were talking about this I had um, someone on from the Irish Council for Civil Liberties and who told me that it reverses the evidential burden of proof because it creates a presumption that if you are in possession of offending material of you know, a leaflet of of notes on your iPhone that you will have committed an offence where it's reasonable to assume that that material was not intended for personal use. So there is an exception. If you're just a saddo who sits at home and you come up with these fantasies right. and you're not a member of any group and you don't do anything with it, it's unlikely you'd be prosecuted. That's what the supporters of the legislation are saying. So you know, what they're saying is you can't be convicted of a thought crime. Okay? Right, and that's the, that's the fear of the likes that's of the fear. So the, the Elon fear, Musk, and et cetera. Yeah, the, the civil liberties fear. And I suppose what the likes of Elon Musk is now trying to play on is that Irish legislation is trying to introduce this dystopian uh, law which can criminalize your thought, which can criminalize you making personal observations about something. Right, on a, my iPhone, in notes, yeah. and or, never never yeah. intended for publication. Yeah. But isn't that guilty until proven innocent? Uh, so that's what, so what the Irish Council of Civil Liberties are saying is that they're worried that it's drifting that way. They're saying that it reverses um, the evidential burden of proof. They also say that it changes it from intent to being reckless as to the consequences. Now, the supporters of that law, they counter this by saying, look, this is getting way too into the weeds. They say that if the Gardaí, for example, get a warrant to search your house, which in itself is not that easy to do, and if they find stacks of pamphlets saying that all black people should be killed, they don't have to wait for you to distribute that pamphlet. So they will bring a prosecution. And at that point, it's I suppose it's up to the prosecution to convince a court that you intended to share that material. Right. Is, is the implication there, is it like drugs, that if it goes over a certain weight, that it's intended for distribution? And the same with those pamphlets? Like if you have more than one pamphlet. Yeah. Well, y- you could make 
you could draw that analogy and we don't know until it's tested in court, but that's probably uh, a likely scenario. I mean, the other metaphor that's used is is if you were planning to rob a bank and if the guards arrive at your house and all the plans are on the wall, that they don't actually have to wait for you to execute the robbery to be able to do you for conspiracy. Okay, that's another metaphor that was drawn by the supporters of the bill. So it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting debate, and you can kind of see both sides of it. Um, on one hand, it is worrying that you can be arrested just for possessing material. Now, to be completely clear, you can be arrested for possessing other sorts of material. I mean, we're all aware of um, child abuse imagery laws. Mm. That that you know so. And and that, I remember the debates around that back in the day. There were actually some good faith uh, oppositional arguments to that on the basis uh, of of privacy and of, of freedom of speech. But I think that argument is probably settled. I think we agree right. that that is an offence to, to hold that material. Yeah, it's the universal harm principle that right. it is in fact causing yeah. harm. But... I'm interested in the incitement to hatred. Mm. So you 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 mentioned the the sort of if you have leaflets that are alleging that all this minority mm. group or this group of people from this country are awful and bad and you know they're a drain on the state. Where is the line where it becomes incitement to hatred? Does it have to be saying something degrading about it or something negative or it, how how does that play out? It has to have been it has to be um something that um it has to be something that is likely that's the word used likely to um to you know to incite hatred now that's a somewhat subjective notion but uh, it's probably it's probably quite a hard thing to prove you would say, because you're getting into debates of, you know, um, if I criticize a political leader and if I make personal comments about them, is that inciting hatred? And if on the back of my comments, people turn up to his or her house, does that qualify as incitement to hatred? It's a good question, you know, but that's that's a general legal uh, question that that has been out there. Um but but with with that then uh, because essentially what what happened on on Thursday was a flashpoint incident takes place stabbing takes place but that's seized upon and then that's taken up and ran with but for that to happen and that change of political uses as it were where is the incitement to hatred there and how how did how did that play out well, we don't know, as a matter of fact, whether there is incitement to hatred there yet. Don't forget, the, 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 you know, this law isn't fully operational. We're, we're not, it, it, and I don't know if this particular instance is likely to be tested. So we don't know um, is, is the answer there. Right. Um, Leo Varadkar saying that it can't be, you know, activated retrospectively, the hate, hate speech laws for this incident. So it's kind of complex, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to tell. You know how do how does it get put into place? Because Helen McEntee and Drew Harris taken a lot of flack for this. Helen McEntee for the hate speech mm. laws. I, I mean, I think they're taking flack for 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 other things. But like we want to put this into context as well. Um, I've always haven't. I've always been more on the the free speech side of things, it's just as a journalist and and also. 
I've never really liked the idea of overly controlled speech. On the other hand, what's happening at the moment on social media companies is pretty gross and it may actually be causing harm uh, to society. And that's not me speaking as somebody who wants to control society. That's me looking, being in the middle of a riot and watching shops being kicked in and, and feeling a real sense of violence and fear in the air, partially because of what's being uh, said and what's being shared. And some of it cynical and in bad faith, not from people who necessarily have you know, good faith um, arguments to make about the running of society, but who are, you know, who kind of want to see things burn. So, you know, as a society, how do we respond to that? Well, thankfully in Ireland, it hasn't gotten like to the point up until Thursday night, it has never really gotten to the point where it's been an absolute crisis for, for the country. But if it keeps going the way it's going, you can see a crisis happening. I mean, Thursday in itself was a little bit of a crisis in Dublin. So how do we respond to that? And um, like you've got the owner of X, Elon Musk, who is increasingly posting things that absolutely do get people's blood up and absolutely rile them up. Um, but that that kind of, um, I suppose, what happened online and what wasn't policed and then the chatter that resulted and people being able to identify landmarks and where to go to in a sort of, in an opportunistic way. So the people, if you had polled the people on Parnell Street, O'Connell Street, like that were throwing, you know, rocks through windows and burning buses and and attacking uh civil infrastructure um, I, I would wager that not a lot of them would know the full origin story of, of how that kicked off but is that is that the at the does that fall at the feet of the social media companies that they're like you know this is happening it's trending it could do yeah because the the output the outcome of something that happens in social media can have an effect on how you police the social media companies as much as the intent. So if, you know, commentary posted on social media ends up with a mob on the streets, then there are very few governments around the world which won't then look at the standards uh, which apply in regulating those social media companies. We have it in Europe now. We have uh, the Digital Service, uh, Service Act, we have the Digital Markets Act, and those are pieces of legislation that very definitely put more control on big tech and, and social media companies on what can be said and the responsibilities of those companies um, in policing or responding uh, to, to requests. Uh, now, we also have an online safety commissioner uh, who's been appointed, who we had on this podcast uh, some months back. And she definitely has a role here, a very difficult role in my opinion, but she definitely has a job in interacting with the social media companies, um, particularly open ones like X, like Twitter, where there's a lot of incendiary content being posted, seemingly uh, unchecked. It's much more difficult for her with the likes of Telegram and WhatsApp because they are encrypted networks. They're dark social. You know, they're behind a wall. Yeah, they're encrypted. So even if Meta wanted to get into the WhatsApp messages, they can't. They effectively can't. Telegram is more difficult anyway because it's um, uh, it's 
effectively not uh, a Western European company. It's more difficult to, to police. But the online safety commissioner's difficulty, and in fact, the social media company's difficulty themselves, is trying to police that content. And that's where probably most of the damaging stuff uh, is being posted. Now, free speech absolutists will say, well, that's a price worth paying for privacy and for communication. And, you know, there is some merit to that argument. Um, two weeks ago, we had Meredith Whitaker, who is the president of uh, Signal, which is a privacy and encrypted messaging app. And she talks very eloquently about the value of protecting privacy and communications. And when I put it to her that this sometimes has a has a, a negative effect, right. uh, whether or not it, it helps riots or, or, or other types of situations, she said, well, her basic answer to that is that this is effectively the price you pay for for." For privacy, yeah, you don't want an overzealous zealous go- no. government coming in and spying on journalists such as yourself. No, but it, it, then is it? Do we make it incumbent on the people so we let let ourselves be less porous to misinformation? So we say, you know, because a lot of the the rioters were sort of sub twenty five, mm. right? And how do we stop them from? from being taken for a ride. Yeah, so well, that's, that would be the, the good, the long-term, the medium-term or long-term approach is, and that's what uh, many commentators on this say is at the root of this issue. It's, it, you know, all of these, you know, X and social media companies, they're just the symptoms that you need to look at a whole-of-society approach and you need to look at the parts of the city and parts of society that got caught up in this and what are the issues there and deal with those in a much more holistic way. Absolutely. And they're, they're, they're not wrong at all. Problem is, what do we do for the next 12 months? Right. Short term versus long term. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting because obviously the misinformation follow Finland, you know, teach people how to spot disinformation. Very, very good. But that's not going to help if there's a another one of these in two or three weeks. So the body cameras and, you know, facial recognition technology. How does that work? Because I was there and you were there on Thursday night. I was there slightly later than you. Uh, the, the, the hood pulled up, the scarf drawn to the nose. And, you know, so there's about two or three inches of face to identify. How does that work? How can we? Well, it can sometimes work if there is, if there are visible eyes in, you know, in, in, some light. Now, whether or not there would have been enough light and there would have been enough visibility on Thursday night, especially when people are moving quickly, I don't know. Um, I think it would have been very, very challenging. Um, the facial recognition technology in Ireland is is a pretty fraught subject. I think the government are now adamant that they're going to try to bring it in because they probably believe that this is their moment to do so, that there was a, there's enough outrage and concern and worry um, uh, and that facial recognition technology can help with law and order. And they're probably correct in that it it would, in absolute uh, terms, probably help Garthi to more quickly, more easily um, find people and, and convict them. The question is, is the civil liberties price and the privacy price that we would pay for that, is it worth it? So that's really where the entire debate is. 
Is is that what the fear is then, you know, say, you know, facial recognition uh, technology? Are you indulging like just the surface level fears there? Are you like when you say, okay, that my passport could or my driver's license with my face on it could be reproduced if uh, one of these databases gets pulled? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Or, or, you know, JJ was on Grafton Street at this time Mm -hmm. because he walked past a guard and he was in line of sight. Is that it or is, is there more to it? No, that that's there's that's a, a large portion of it, but it's also the idea of your your image and your face now being an acceptable form of data that the state can hold on you. It's there is a sort of a almost a philosophical objection to that. Now, Look, we do have passports. We do have CCTV cameras. The, you know, when you go to the airport, frequently you'll stand and you'll scan your passport and then a, a camera will take a, a scan of your face. And by and large, most of us accept that. Maybe with not, you know, without thinking. But the idea that you can't walk around without being tracked and scanned and catalogued and assessed there's something there is something dystopian about that. I think if someone was seriously injured in the rioting or if we we had, you know, if someone had died, we would be having an entirely different conversation around this. It would Maybe. be totally, Maybe. you know, uh, Maybe. It, it would change. Yeah. I mean, it possibly. And look, the the government will say that um this is just a logical response to keep people safe in cities. And there will be a big part of the body politic that will uh, agree with them. But I'm glad we're having the discussion uh, about it because I've been to China. I've been to countries where they catalog your face um, a lot more. And it's not it's not very comfortable. No, it's, it, no I think that's the fear it, is the, that kind of overarching, the state is watching you or well. Also, competence, JJ. Like, I'm sorry, guards, but I... You guys aren't very, very good at doing this stuff. The guards aren't particularly good at databases. There's there's quite a few stories about mismanagement of IT systems and pulse systems and databases and breaches. They're not very good at it. Now, you can say that, that that's a cop-out and that, you know, IT, we're all learning how to use IT and that shouldn't stop us from implementing the kind of security controls that are needed to protect society. But it is a consideration. Yeah. I mean, it was always a consideration when we we're considering nuclear power. One of the honestly, one of the big biggest reasons I heard was we'd cock it up. Yeah, well I mean it's you know these these for-profit companies are benefiting from outrage. Yeah, like absolutely. absolutely. Now look, I know somebody's listening to this podcast now going, "Oh, that's exactly what, you know, the media have done for the last 20 years." And you can make that argument, you know, you can make that argument. But I don't think we've seen it to the scale that we have seen on social media in the last uh, 18 months. I'm certainly not aware in recent times of a riot effectively being kicked off uh, because of something, a TV station or a newspaper. Anyway, that's an entirely different podcast, entirely different episode. I think we're going to leave it there. JJ Clark produced this episode. Thank you very much also to John Smith, who was on audio. I'm Adrian Weckler. You've been listening to The Big Tech Show, and we'll talk to you again soon. Schachten. 
an Indo Askeliga. Time in mon Europe the end of Chacht Erachor. Agasuligum a Machan show, Gurfeder Echor in Uik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Egornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again om Griv or Karn Rachtum. Yet a Shetarin Griven or Karson, Elis Duhalagus Kiminifracht, Gora Kligs are Dukashin Echor. Only Ven own. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.